You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode is part two of my conversation with Lawrence Aja. Now, just to refresh your memory, Lawrence is a community builder, host, and founder and chairman of Family Dinner Foundation, a global movement whose mission is to connect the world as a family at and beyond the dinner table. In part two, we continue our conversation about the church, particularly its sustainability in the face of our evolving society. Lawrence also discusses his faith journey and what the call to ministry means for him. A critical focus is what he identifies as an isolation crisis amongst even the professional demographic. And Lawrence is currently leading a community with five crucial tenets designed to address this. While it's clear that he has a laser-like focus on his purpose, Lawrence admits that at times he's struggled with the financial uncertainty that often accompanies such a call and has grappled with how that aligns with his desire for marriage and family. Yet he has persisted because as he explains it, where there is purpose, there is also provision. So as always, please take a listen and enjoy. And I definitely want to continue. I'm, I'm jumping down my agenda, but since we gone down this rabbit hole, I want to continue um, because I, I have a lot of conversations with folks who grew up in the faith, grew up in church, um, but are struggling in the questions of, mm. okay, I'm spiritual, but am I religious? Am I really Christian? Right. Uh, because I don't subscribe to a lot of the dogma that comes with it. Um, and also because we live in a time where folks are very culturally aware and woke, as they call it, uh, and have criticisms around white Christianity and how it was imposed upon us and used, and, and the Bible being used as a form of oppression, as a tool of oppression. Um, and also, if you really study the scripture, the things that don't make sense, the, the contradictions, uh, the fact that it reflects other stories of mythology or whatever you want to call it, um, there are a lot of folks, particularly, I think, the, the Black professional set, who either publicly has they've rejected church and Christianity or uh, they they go because it's a tradition that they, they they've grown up in and it feels comfortable. And it's also a social gathering. Right. Just in a building. Um, have you had to reconcile that? Right. So the debates that are happening, particularly as a, as a man who has as much education and critical thinking skills as you do. Um, have you have you had to sit in those questions of like, OK, how do I walk in ministry and do this in a way uh, that has integrity and honors certain traditions and pillars of the faith, but fully recognizes that some of this may not make sense, particularly for my target demographic? Wow. Um, thank you for, for, for this. Um, that's probably my that's my story. Part of my mm-hmm. story. Right. And I, I talk about how I'm committed to ensuring that um, young professionals, brothers and sisters get God. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, get I put it in quotes because no one fully is going to get somebody who's not fully understandable. Um, and part of it was that my story is that I think is very easy. I came up. Faith was important in my household, but I think I was more a follower by obedience as a child. I just follow what my parents told me to do. And you can get caught up in the culture of faith. Right. I go to church on these days. I do these things. It's not really yours, but you have the scriptures. You kind of pray, you know, certain prayers. You you kind of piece it together. But I think this is partly why this is this is so key. My story was that I went what I call was like I was faking the funk for such a long time. 
I, I, I felt like I had an appearance of knowledge and knowing of what I really believed. And the truth was, I really didn't. You know, the truth was, is that um, I got to a stage where I realized I've invested in everything. I've invested in my career to be an exceptional consultant, an exceptional advisor, exceptional business owner. I went to business school. I studied the MCAT. I knocked that out. I did. GF. I have invested in, in, in the talent and the gift of knowledge and intellect and ability, but I have not invested the same in my relationship with God. And I think for many professionals, I think one of the biggest tools of the enemy is to, you know, to, to an enemy, and I don't even use that much. It's like, I think, but one of the biggest tools of our time is that the best way to convince somebody, uh, to, to sway somebody from having something is to convince them that they already do have it. And for a while, I thought, you know what? I believe in God. I grew up, I grew up in the church. I kind of went, I believe I'm a good person. You know, I believe I make the best decisions and all that. And the truth was, you know, the, the questions that I had from myself, and it may not be other people's story, was that I had a version of faith, but I have a real faith. The second piece was I realized until I got to California that like, I, I really reckoned with the question. I was like, when someone asked me about my faith, story, I was like, yo, I, I don't even believe I'm a Christian because I, I wasn't baptized. I never made a declaration. I was just, just around it. And I think there are many brothers and sisters who can relate to the fact that if you can get connected, you have a child, or it's like, I feel like I should do this, it's the right thing to do. But what I was really reckoning with was that I had I didn't feel as confident about my faith journey as I did about every other part of my life. Right. It's like man, how many of us, you know, struggle when people struggle about their dating life relationships. It's like for type A personality people who are used to knocking it out the park, there's one thorn in your side that says that you are not perfect. Right. Similarly. There's pride when you are so accomplished, when you know so much, right, that I know God, I know this, I know that. So even reckoning with the fact that I don't know what I'm talking about or reckoning the fact that I used to go to church and I, sometimes I used to go, I remember I was in Austin, Texas, where it really started to change for me in 2007, went to my first Baptist church and they'd call out scriptures and I felt the shame of like, I'm flipping through the page, I don't even know where to go. They're like, Micah? I'm like, where did Micah? You know, like, like <laughs> but it bothered me. And I remember having that prayer and it wasn't until I humbled myself. And I said, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. I've never studied this book. I don't know why the, the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. I don't know why. Is it God? Is it Jesus? I didn't know the difference. And it made me feel shameful. And I think for many people, it's a, like this, 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 this deep end. And so what I would say is I would almost start there to say, I know that there are many people out there that I now with a lot of my work, I focus on so much now is that professionals who have invested so much in every other part of their life. They've been around it. They feel they should know more. But the truth is, if you really drill down, you realize that, like for me, I didn't know. And I could. And I needed someone to help me and learn what I didn't know. And then beyond that, I think there, I think there was a lot of things that I was questioning that it was partly because I just didn't know <laughs> anything. I'm like, why? You say you can have, but you, you eating, you eating crab, right? Like you, it didn't the Old Testament say that? And then, you know, like, but if you then exegete and you basically like that was the old covenant, like, but it's hard if you're, you know, everything for somebody to like, no, that's wrong. You know, that's, that's a misunderstanding. So I think for me, I think for me, and I think for many people, it first starts with having a real honest conversation with yourself to say, do, are you really basing your understanding of it based on a real understanding. And I, and I know for me, because I have, I can understand it because I live in that world. I came from that world. I know what it feels like to feel proud, to feel like, you know, like I grew up in the church. I was baptized at five, you know, like that type of dynamic to, <laughs> you know, she was like, to the flip side of saying, 
yeah, you are around it, but just because you're in a garage don't make you a car. And I think that's the humility. That's the gut check that I had that I think many brothers and sisters are having now when I, when we talk about, you know what, I know that's your story. That was my story. And I don't want you to come later in life and realize when life happens, you're leaning upon something, but you have a, you don't have, you don't really have it. You don't have the Holy spirit. You don't have the things that you need. You don't have it. Let's, let's do it. Let's be sure. Um, but I think there's a second piece, which I, I, I think once you have that and you're willing to kind of be in community and have that, I think there's this view that somehow the doubts, the questions somehow are invalidating, which I think for me, the conversations I have, it doesn't give me offense because my faith, my view is not about me, not about being right. It's not about arguing. God is big enough. If he's worth worshiping, he's big enough to hear these things. People have real concerns. And if I read these scripture pretty closely, <laughs> they're real concerns. People have real concerns. Where are you? How long, oh Lord? Where are you? Strike them down. You can't say that, da, da, da. Read the Psalm. They're telling them, strike them down. Let their children run against the rocks. <laughs> And so I think these are the types of things that I think when, when people really have a, a strong, a, a clear understanding of it, um, I think it, it helps them to take it in. And even if they do and have issues, I think that's fine because it's a journey. And I think that's why I think what people feel comfortable to just, uh, in my posture, anytime someone has strong feeling or anything like that, like, my hair is not to convince you, my hair is just to listen, to listen. Right. I think that's been helpful for people in terms of um, navigating those questions, those things that they, they're unsure about. Do you think that with the access to information that we have now, digital age, as the elders start to go on home to glory, as they say, mm. that church in the traditional sense is sustainable long term? I think the church will always be sustainable. The church, as the, the, as the scriptures intended it, because it has been through much worse, <laughs> you know, like, you know, over time, it's endured and it's multiplied. It's endured. Um, with that said, your question around expression, I do think there is a reckoning. Um, I do think there's a reckoning because again, there's some cases where people are being more taught to follow the church than more taught to follow Jesus. What that means is that the church as it's defined or as it's translated in the New Testament as ecclesia, the called out people of God, it's a people. But when you bring a people together, you as humans, you create organizations and institutions. These organizations and institutions are made up of imperfect people and imperfect people who somehow mimic what they've seen and essentially limits their imagination right, about what it could be. And I think it's a reckoning, meaning that I think the church itself will always be sustained. I'm not, I'm not worried. It. It's already been written. I'm not worried about that. But I think the idea that um, I think the idea, particularly for those, because I think we're called to people who don't know God, the people who already know God should be built up by the community of faith. I think there are churches that are specifically reached and help to build up and strengthen that community. But I think that what we've ignored is that we're called to love. And there's a growing population of people who did not come up in church, who grew up in a very politicized view and a very antagonistic view of the church, who were not reaching. I think the reckoning is pointing people to say, what are you going to do about that? They're not going to come to your Sunday service. They're not coming to midweek service. They're not going to come into a building anytime soon. It's forcing people to have real relationships with people, not relationships based on, I'm going to get you to come one Sunday, but real relationships like Jesus came and dwelled with people and ate with people, broke bread with people, actually sat down with people, built relationships with people. I think people more than anything else in this lonely generation, people want people to know them, care for them, dwell with them. 
I think that gives people a foundation to want to know about God, right? Um, and so I think in this time, the reckoning of the model of Sunday come, go, you come back, Sunday, boom, boom. I think there's a reckoning around the models, right? I think it's forcing people to ensure that you have relationships because people could come to every Sunday and not grow. They could grow more dependent upon the pastor and borrow their faith and ultimately grow and develop a faith so that they can help to multiply others. I think that's that's definitely happened. I think the models, I think there's going to be models and I think there's going to be tension because of the models, like the models I'm stepping into to say, I'm focused on people who don't already know about God. I'm focused on professionals who are knowledgeable, who are smart, who care, but recognize there's been a, a, a imbalance between how they invested their time. And they're, they're, they're somewhat ashamed that they don't know what they feel they should know, right? I think that the model has to be different because their model is not thinking about Sunday in the same way, right? Um, and so I think you could have the same goal by multiple models, but I think there is a reckoning. I agree um, that there is a reckoning around um, how we do church. Um, and ultimately, also, I would also say, and I'll say this around that, even sometimes in some cases, size, right? What I mean by that is that I think part of the reason why I have compassion for pastors is because I think that some, that, and if you come up with it, sometimes people have unrealistic, they take old school expectations of pastors and put it on today pastors and you, you can't have a congregation of 30,000 people and then you are at every funeral you are at every marriage you are picking up the phone they need you here this happened and then you're doing eight uh, services every sunday and somehow you're supposed to be a good husband or good wife good parent good 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 human beings weren't ba- built for that um, and so I, I think that they're also going to be a reckoning around size to say, you know, it's not about the numbers per se, but it's about disciples, people who really learn about God. And then they go in their families and their, their relationships, they help multiply, getting back to that core. Um, I really believe that that's what's happening because we're forced to. Yeah. And Demarcus and I, ironically, were just having this conversation earlier about whether the death of the mega church is coming. Right. And, and. I have my opinions about that, which I won't waste precious minutes here talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a there's a balance that has to be struck between growth uh, and then as you grow, having infrastructure in place and also having some level of touch to your your community. Um, and I say that because you can't just call it a flop for for the sake of like, listen to me and what I say and pay me your money. But then that flock mentality and, and shepherding doesn't exist when somebody dies or when they're in crisis or or they need to be shepherded. And and that's and I think also too, building in those layers to your point and not looking to the pastor for everything helps with accountability as well. Exactly. We've we've moved into like this this area of faith where you can be a, a pastor and a spiritual leader, but a secular figure. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people get caught up in the celebrity of being like a popular IG pastor or someone who celebs lean on and getting so caught up in that, um, that the the service piece of it can get lost in it. Right. Or mm-hmm. um, there's a form of idolatry that happens because people are looking at you as a famous figure in a way and expecting perfection. So it's expecting perfection, not just because you're a celebrity who has this polished image on the Internet. And on all these stream service, but also you're in Christian leadership as well. And I think that's mm-hmm. just all of that is a recipe for disaster. So, you know, I and I have my constructive criticisms about church and large churches, especially. 
but I agree with you that there's a reckoning on a lot of different levels and size absolutely being being one of them. Mm. So, so you, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I would I would just say that and, and please, my view is not that I have any issue, you know, at by and large. I just think that there's gonna be a pressure placed upon there's gonna be a rationalization. <laughs> like there's gonna be a refining to say, hey, I just think that with good intentions, we have put infrastructure beyond our capacity to care, mm-hmm. to your point. That's what I mean. Meaning to your point, I think, but I think it's a it's a it's 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 a top-down, bottom up. Or I wouldn't say top down, it's it's both sides of the equation. Meaning we we're in a consumerist culture. Give me Amazon, give me my sermon, give me my word, I'm out. I don't want any commitment. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to live how I want to live. Get me what I need to do. Make me feel good. Come back. I may or may not contribute. I'm out. And I need you when I need you. If you don't, you made me upset. I'm out. But on the flip side, there is like, you're, and I, and I think we have to redefine success to what the Bible said. I think that you can't define success just about numbers. You have to define success about maturity. Are people growing? And are we at a stage where those people can go on, right? And how did the woman at a well who was uh, on her fifth marriage, who everyone did not care for, who looked down upon, just started a church by just leaving and telling what God did for her? I think that's what I think it needs to come back because that's that democracy that that opens it up. It says I could be a part of that. But if it's this institution where I got to kind of go through these loops, I got to wear the right clothes, I got to do all these things. That's going to throw people off. And so I celebrate and support the pastors who are doing creative things. There's some great makers who are doing a creative thing. But to your point, as long as there, may, there needs to be, we need to redefine what being part of a church really means, right? And accountability and what capacity is. I think there are just churches that are beyond their capacity to actually care for people well. Mm-hmm. So going back to your view for what ministry looks like for you and fostering connection, has that evolved beyond family dinner into other things? Yes. I mean, so for me and, 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 and giving what I can, shoot as a serpent, <laughs> the, the, I always believed in, in, in an uncommon community. And I think I'm inspired by the Panther Party. I'm inspired by um, collectives where there was a set of, let's call it a rule of law. If you anybody read the Panther Notebooks, it, like, the, the, like you read, they're very specific <laughs> about how you show up, how chapters were started. I, I feel we need to go back there because I think because of this digital time we live in, we forgot it to be friends. We don't even know how to maintain relationships. We don't know how to deal with people who, who are in suffering. We don't know how to check in with people. And then the fire shoulder builders work and then you find yourself later on in when life is happening and realizes and COVID happens, you're like, oh, snap. I, oh, 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 it is my family who I who only got me because everybody else is just act like I'm just here. Yeah, like, you know, and, and so I think my view has always been Family dinner has been that, what I call kingdom community, right? That there would be a community where you didn't have to qualify, that you were invited to the table, that you essentially were called family, not because of work, not because, like I said, qualifications, that you could actually connect and there would be a shared set of expectations. And one of the things that we've done in the past years have what I call 5C, meaning everyone who's a part of it now in its incarnation, every season, there are groups that are local right? By life stage, depending on what you want. And you guys are connected for the eight to 10 weeks and you're connected by 5C. 5C is a basic foundation that everybody, you could do whatever y'all want, but this is our code. If you're not cool with that code, that's fine. And that code is to ensure that you build reliable community. C is commitment. We're anti, you're committed to one. It's like real world for a season. Look, we're committed to one another 48 to 10 weeks. After that, you can do whatever we want. 
but we're committed to one another to be like family, right? And then we're committed to this mission. We are all going to each contribute, whether we serve or we contribute to the, the actual or, uh, movement organization, right? Then there's connection. We connect at, bi-weekly at a minimum. You can do weekly if you want to. At a minimum, you can't, it's like you can't call somebody a friend or you can't call somebody family. It, like we have to get back to the fact of saying like, yo, if I had a, if I lost my parents, would my friend not show up at the funeral, right? I think we need a basic standard. So connection is like, you actually need to invest. You need to connect. So you guys should do your, some people did dis, social distance running or social distance picnics, or they did uh, virtual movie nights and things bi-weekly. You guys agree to what that is. Communication. You at least speak to half of your members. There's no more than seven people or seven families. There's sometimes families with kids, seven families. You all communicate with at least half of your members weekly. It's like training again. You have to call people. You have to talk to people. And then crisis, and this is the best part, crisis and celebration. Crisis means if anything happens to a person in that group during that time, this is like in life insurance in the form of family, in the form of people. At a minimum, everybody calls. And at a minimum, the group has to decide to do something to respond. People have lost jobs. People didn't have money. People have like, I, I just need, groups have shown up. I can't go see my for COVID. Could you bring me or... We, we just set the ground principles and seeing what people do, did. So you know, as an individual, busy and all, I, I'm covered for this season. Because after that, you learn the basic principle of celebration. I have promotion. I bought a house, something. Literally, groups did. They, they got stuff. They did drive-bys to people, strangers. And so I say that that is the foundation. Within that foundation, there's a community of brothers and sisters of faith who exist and who are members of that that I lead, many of them are here in Jersey City. Almost 50 plus of these people are here in Jersey City. The rest of them are all a part of this community who are, who are not a part of churches, already existing part of churches. We have what we call prayer room. Prayer room is open. We have movie night for the family, a group, for the group. So we do it because it's virtual. We have our Sunday dinner and then everyone has their local groups that they're a part of, right? But we also have prayer room. People who don't even believe in God, they should, is a, on that Thursday, bi-weekly Thursday, each season, then we take a month break. We have a prayer room. We come on Zoom. We do that. The how many people come there? Because I learned over time, there's never been a time when anybody's ever refused prayer that I've experienced. When I go, it doesn't matter what they believe, what bedside, and he's has how many, I've not been able to do what COVID was going on, but how for how many uh, uh, years leading up to that? Prayer. So I said the on-ramp for many people will not be church or Bible study. It's actually prayer, right? People will pray to God. And so that's an open door, but that's happening within the family and the community. And so our view is that it's a pipeline in and of itself. And within that prayer room, that group has ballooned. And within that prayer room, if people within that want to elect, we then uh, we have what I call a building room that takes place after that. That's like a Bible study. And we treat it like a spiritual gym. So everybody's given programs for the season. So if anybody's coming in, that's partly my passion. Many of them are professionals because that's the demographic that this reaches to. And then we deal with it like literally like a gym. Like for me, that's that was my that was my my my, my accreditation. All that's so, all right. Well, what, what do you want to do in your prayer life? What do you want to do? To learn about God? Do you know God's story? We have five areas of how they can grow spiritually. And then for many people, they're in the prayer room and they work on prayer. They're like, I want to be more consistent. I want to feel more confident in what I'm saying. I want. So we have programs. And so that's what it's been during this time. And so. For me, the beauty of that is that it gives people all around that no matter what, even if people just stay and they just enjoy being a part of a community, number one, we deal with loneliness. You're not alone anymore. That we've blessed the city. We don't, 
We would love for you if, if you feel called to come to the prayer room, to come to the study and do that. Great. But we know we're blessing you. Somebody else may carry that on. We know we're doing something for the kingdom. But to see people, because they're in groups with people who then attend and them coming, and then they come to know God through that. That's been for me the, the, the model that it's like, it's, been, it's, like, it's like it was a faith step to say, I said, I actually believe that this will work, will work, right? And seeing, especially in COVID, that people have clung to this and to say, it's just good to know that there are people who are checking for me. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah, what, what resonated with me especially is the crisis and celebration piece. Um, and for different reasons, but on, on the crisis piece, one of the things that I often make note of is we've evolved as people. We, most of us make more money than, you know, our grandparents <laughs> or our, our parents mm-hmm. did. And, you know, we all woke and we've got all this education and intellectual prowess. Um, but one of the things that I witnessed growing up was when someone lost someone, when, uh, there was a death in the church or on your block or what have you. The door stayed unlocked for a week because people would gather and they would bring food and they would say, how can we help? And they would just sit with you. And all of these things, um, we rallied around each other in times of crisis and loss. And now, and not that that doesn't happen, but now I think sometimes we get caught up in the cycle of like the text or the Facebook, my condolences, or you're texting outside of whomever it happened to and say, man, can you believe this happened? This is tragic, but almost having a fear of stepping into it because it's like, I don't know what to say. We haven't been socializing the same way to really, you don't have to have anything to say. And I think it goes back to like ego and what you were talking about before in every area of your life, you know, or most you have a plan and you know how to attack it and problem solve. And when something happens that is just unexplainable because we don't know what to do, we don't do anything. And we, we Mm. and I think as a community, um, that that rallying around in times of trouble is becoming a lost art. Mm. And it's one of the things that I cherish about what how I was trained and groomed and brought up and cultured to even if you don't know what to say, you go. You 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 go buy a bucket of chicken or <laughs> you show up and you and you comfort that family. Um mm. so on the, the crisis front, I, I'm incredibly impressed and energized by that but also on the celebration front as well, because I won't call it jealousy, um, but we we live in a culture of comparison now. So, and, and everything is so public with social media and like, you know, putting out there how you've been blessed or the next thing that you've, you've accomplished. And I often see that people can genuinely feel happy for someone that they know, but sometimes it shines a light on what they're not doing. Mm-hmm. So I, I have... I can't tell you how many threads I've been in over text message where it's like, did you see so-and-so made this list or they got this job or they bought this house or they got married or got engaged? What am I doing over here? So it's this point of comparison about where you might be deficient or where Mm. you have not progressed yet. So, And I don't think it's intentional. I don't think it's being a hater. It's just uh, this all of us feeling like, I mean, you talked about going to Harvard when Zuckerberg was there. We're in, we, we're in an age of like people doing things to the nth degree in record speed and seeing unprecedented levels of success. So sometimes I think that we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves. Mm. Or like we're being left behind when people reach the next milestone and you have it. So have not. So you creating this, uh, this community where, 
uh, there is support and you're grieving together, but you're also celebrating together, I think is really powerful. Mm. Yeah, I, your story that you shared about my parents is, it's, uh, I mean, it was partly what like, it would, tr- it would trigger me a, a bit about this. Like my, my cousin had passed um, two years ago and doing the, and being a part of that funeral and, and, and it, it was a lot. And um, I remember the crying room, the, my aunt, his mother in their apartment and the women stayed there. Mm-hmm. My mom, they stayed there. They took turns. Somebody was cooking, somebody was cleaning, somebody was doing this, somebody helping her doing that. They would sit on the couch and literally cry. Everyone, they, everybody knew what to do. When I say that to flip, the men were in this room. The, they, everybody knew what to do for the entire week. You said the entire week people came, stopped by. There was never any, everybody knew shift. They took shifts. One person slept, did this. Did, and I said, my God, yo, what are we going to do? Because I think part of it is just the lack of skill. People have not been taught that intentionally. And I feel like it's like any muscle, it atrophies. Your friendship muscle atrophies. So you have a whole generation now that we're part of, which I think I'm almost socially awkward because they, they're, they're because of the digital, right? They don't know how to look people in the eyes. They can't, they can't focus because of like the rewiring of just on this. That's not so good. It's like, those are New York Times. This was like very clear thing. We don't know. And we don't recognize love is sacrifice. So for you, being uncomfortable and awkward and calling that person who's suffering, that's part of your love contribution because I'm going to be awkward because I don't know what to say. You don't need to say anything. Sometimes it's just calling. But I think people are willing. They just don't have the skill and they need to practice it. And so I think this is why this, this is exciting. I think to your, to your segment, which I think is really spot on, I, I said something a couple of weeks ago around you know, scripture talks about, uh, you know, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What that tells me is that someone's lack of willingness to want to celebrate with you is just as a spiritually concerning as somebody unwilling to suffer with you mm-hmm. and mourn you. Right. And so, you know, and it's human, right, the comparison. But I think we, we downplay how important it is to celebrate with people. It does something to you. It matures you. It forms you. You could be secure enough. But to your point, it shows a spiritual lack. Right. Right. And, and I think the reality is because we're seeing it all on these reels of social media, it it it, 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 it likes almost like this digital resume. It, it, it there's resentment. There's all these things. And so th- th- I think these are ways that you could show up for people where they feel that they're not alone. And so the fact is that people are more hesitant to do that and even just wait. And even when the suffering comes, they even don't do that well. I'm just I just grieve for us. I grieve for us, man. I grieve for us, sis, you know, about in these times. COVID for me was not just about the public health crisis. It was about the isolation crisis. It was about that many of our brothers and sisters, their community was their workplace, even if they didn't like it. And so their home, they may be seeing family members pass. We live this, right? So I'm not speaking from Mount Olympus. I'm living this. And literally... Your it's work, and then I'm with myself and my thoughts. And let's say, even if you have healthy friendships, they may fall short in the suffering part, or they fall short in that. We, we weren't made for that, which is why, like I said, an iPhone turns off with all that heat. And when it gets really cold, your iPhone turns off. I think similarly, when we're not made for that lack of connection, that lack of belonging, that lack of support, 
where we're by ourselves. We're not necessarily partnered where you could fall and come back from your work or shut your laptop and talk to somebody. People are leaking online. People are doing all that on top of the fact that some of our people are checking out. And so that's why I think this is why this is such a time beyond the COVID piece is that this point you're talking about, which is like, yo, we, we have to deal with these soft skills because as you see now, there's a big push because everyone's monetizing. That's, I'm not, I do not knock the hustle. Do what you need to do. As long as you're helping people, salute. Do what you need to do. But we also, there needs to be a, a, a renaissance of soft skills. And I think that's what I'm trying to contribute to that pot for people to say, hey, how do I, you know, do you have an, do you, do you have like emergency content? Who else has your key to your place? If 24 hours, 48 hours goes, who can I call who would say that something's wrong? If you fell off in your, in your, in your bed somewhere or something happened, how, how long would it be to somebody picked up and found you in your apartment? If these things we have not figured out yet, I think this is the opportunity we have now. And so my hope is that part of my work, in addition to the conversations, because I think you and I connect offline and, and we talked about this. What, I, what I'm appreciative to you and your brother about the most is that these are real conversations. These, these questions about these valley moments and these moments. These things are uh, things that we all go through. We need to talk to people about it. We need spaces. And I just want to be about bringing us together um, so that we address particularly this soft skill piece, the lack of relationship and friendship, the barriers and even romantic relationships. Whatever's going to bring our stuff together, I want to be a part of that. Absolutely. And, you know, I... I uh, find it interesting. It's this phenomenon we have on the show where people come on and you know they're very buttoned up and they've got their talking points and they're all ready to like run their resume or whatever narrative they've been giving uh, in this medium. And then there's a shift that happens in the conversation where that vulnerability comes out um, and, and in some instances, fragility. And the, there's a dichotomy though when we press stop for a lot of people. So first they're like, wow, I feel so free, like that I just was able to talk about even the the dark pieces of my life and not just stick to whatever the superficial pieces. But then it's also that realization that is out there. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, but I really put my stuff on front street. And how does that really jive with the image that I have out into the world? Um, Mm -hmm. So we've had these really amazing conversations with people um, and they acknowledge how freeing it was and how cathartic it was and where it prompted them to go to therapy or unpack some unresolved stuff they didn't know it was there or how it might be impacting their romantic relationships or otherwise. And then those same people won't share the episode. They will not publicize their own episode because hmm. it, it puts them in an uncomfortable situation, right? That like, I've really, I bore my soul here. And we sort of chuckle about it. We're so used to it that, you know, we get it and it tells us that we're on the right track because there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to be done for vulnerability to be uh, attractive, right? Especially for Black men, which is a, a large population for, for us, both from a guest perspective and a listenership perspective. Um, but the work, similarly, the work that you're doing is so important on this on this journey for us to really pull the curtain back and say, no, this is the real, right? It's not what you see online, 60 second video on IG or a caption of uh, whatever, 50 words or less. This is what's really going on. And I think our our relationships, both platonic and romantic and familial, will be strengthened by that, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. all acknowledge that. Um, one of the things I have to remind myself of when people annoy me, because I am human, <laughs> you know, one of my favorite things to tell myself is everybody's in their own personal battle. 
everybody. And I think if we all were were more honest about that, um, not only would we extend more grace to each other, but we would move forward as a community in terms of uplift and helping people become whole. So kudos mm. to you, um, you know, for mm. the work that you're doing. And, you know, when when Sakoa told me that you were in ministry, I was like, oh, boy. I don't know how this is going to go. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I appreciate the non-traditional approach um, that you're you're taking to all of this. And you mentioned uh, monetization online. That's a great segue, actually, because someone who has all the education that you do and the charisma, uh, intellect, all of that could do anything, right, to mm-hmm. become a, a seven-figure earner or greater. Mm-hmm. Do you have internal dialogue around, I have all these passions, I have my purpose, but how does that affect my money? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And uh, I'm, I'm going to speak very frank. And, and not no, I'm not, not just speaking frank. Um, of course, I think there's a guilt. No, not going to say there's a guilt. There's a family member I remember I was wrestling through even going back to seminary. You know, I felt that I could stay at this firm and be a partner. I was on that track two and a half years. I felt I would have been partner. I felt I was tracking. And I just was clear that this ain't, I felt I could be really, really good at it, but I didn't feel I could be great. Mm-hmm. Meaning like, I feel like I could be, but I didn't, I, and I just said, I didn't think I, like God allowed all these things for me to, to do this. I respect it and have all integrity, all, all work and, 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 and dignity and all work, but mm, and I remember, you know, this family member saying, like, you know, um, it was we were having a kerfluffle, but it was it was, it was the same one. But she was kind of like, you know, it was selfish of you to go into ministry. You know, you could have taken care of the family, and like our parents would have been working, and not knowing, perhaps not knowing that, you know, for the four years that I was getting these up, I was saying no, and you know, and not even including my my, my father and mother about it because I felt like I knew I can go and just do this and I was wrestling with it because I'm like how am I going to make money like how am I going to do this this is like when I was doing family dinner man like you know it was the when I say it was difficult and in ministry and I was being paid two thousand dollars a month right and then this is coming off of some years you dang near near half a million dollars of revenue bringing in I've had those years and you know I recognize that but I put all that money and I gave it away right to this over years and then draw a salary until I had nothing left and then to come and see your parents still working. And then to be a young man who's trying to prepare to make sure that you could potentially take care of a wife and do these things. Even for us as brothers, you could feel like, man, like how I've been brought up, how I've been r- r- made and, and raised as a man is that that's part of your responsibility. And because of that, you really have some come to Jesus moments, man. And I think for me, that's what was the wrestle. I'm like, God, do I have enough faith that I'm being practical? Right. I'm not just out here, you know, Peter panning me this thing. But at the same time, it, it, do I trust you enough that I sense that this is what you're telling me to do, that I, you've given you've given me all of these opportunities. And yes, I can go on to, to the little house on the hill and move to Alpine, New Jersey and, and, and be by Chris Rock and Mary and, and sit there. Right. And obviously, <laughs> figuratively speaking, you know, I could do that or like the kings or like the people who. Or like, you know, uh, Philippians 2, like the king who gave up all of his riches to serve. And I felt like it wasn't so much, it wasn't some vow to poverty. What it was saying was that this is not clear. This is a clear path where I know how this can go. God, I'm going to trust you that I will be able to figure this out. And I think 
more the, over the past couple of years, it has been a it's it has been a kind of a check and balance because I was still maintaining I'm still maintaining my boutique consulting firm. You know, I'm helping these companies, right? And now, which has shifted, with more of these conversations about how do we reimagine community because of the work you're doing, right? These tech companies thinking through this, and it almost feels like you know, like I'm like I'm making three, I'm doing three separate things with the same mission. It's taxing. Because then part of me is just saying, I wouldn't even do all this. I'd do this like every once in a while if this would just take care of everything. But that's not the case, right? And I think I've had to, I think the past couple of years have been acceptance for me. Right? I've, been in, I've been in counseling for 10 plus years. I believe in it, right? It's just been another quiver for me of like sharpening me as a man, as a Christian man. But I think there's also been an element of it just to say, accepting my life. Like, and I'm, I always tell the story that I remember I was, you know, when I was younger and I was uh, doing my thing in track and field as a junior, the first time like, the coach flew out and he was an Olympic medalist and a 400 hurdlers. He was at, I think, coach for Georgia Tech, Derek Atkins. And he was watching me practice at Scadaway High School. And I remember, you know, like I was good at a whole bunch of different events. And I remember saying with him afterwards, my practice was like, you know, I'm still figuring out what, fo- you know, what event I'm going to focus on. He was like, who told you you need to do that? I'm like, no, no, no. Like I got to find one event. He was just like, who told you you need to do that? Have you ever considered the multi-events, the decathlon? The... And it was because of that conversation, I embraced the fact that I felt I was good on multiple things and I became national champion at those things. I think for me, a lot of the wrestling was that I don't want to be like, you kind of like, you feel like Lawrence on Insecure, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, am I sitting here playing? You know, like, you know, like that, was, uh, that, was, that was an inside joke with someone, what about what my goal? <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, all I knew, I think the, and this is, I'm going to get real razor with this one. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. There was no bottom. I remember when lights cut off, people always say that it feels like a rap bar. No, lights cut off. We can't pay this. And then when things hit, right, things hit. And that employs 35 people, 40 people, right? And we pays for college and do stuff. But they were so low, I didn't know what bottom was. Similarly, when I saw my parents' marriage. It wasn't perfect, but their view was burn the ropes, burn the ropes. If we go, if we're going out, we both going out together. It was kind of like that. So we saw things that people would be like, oh, it would have been done. But it's like, and it's for better, for worse. So I think the flip side for me was that me accepting this and having some very difficult seasons where you're going from doing well financially, you're like, okay, good. I can pay the bills. I, you know, to, you know, you're working on like, I literally get this check. I pay this bill. I'm sitting here like, I can't do anything, you know? <laughs> you know, that everybody know that feeling, that little like, you know, hey man, you wanna go out? Nah, man, I can't, you know. Like that type of overdraft questioning life is, is, is jarring. And especially if you're a young man, especially I think, and I think it's for both, for if you're a brother, oh my God, you feel so down on yourself. And I think for me, I've had to accept the similar thing to say, God, you've given me plenty, but you're giving me a path. I have a roof over my head. I have provision. I've always gotten everything that I needed. I'm very clear on my path. I know this is different, but I don't believe in the bottom. And I rather fail. I rather look back and say, I failed, I failed, I failed, I failed, but I did what I, you told me to do. Then sit back, go back to Egypt where I was complaining, right? And saying like I wanted to leave. And I think that's kind of the feeling I have around it to say, yeah, it's, um, I've tried to be thoughtful. Just I'll, I'll end here. I'll try to be thoughtful around whatever I'm doing now. It's if, if I'm helping somebody, I'm comfortable being compensated for that, right? Like scripturally, I'm, I, you know, when I, I get called, I asked to preach, and so I get asked to preach consistently, I get paid for that, right? 
a company is asking me to come and help them advise them on this thing or on at this post merge, I'll help them. Yes, I feel comfortable with that. Um, but at least, especially now with this arena that I'm talking about, I think for such a long time, I was always so hesitant because I'm worried about what people will think or are they thinking I'm this guy who's trying to make money on that? And I realized that, you know what? Let me do what God told me to do. And I can't, I'm not going to, what will people think is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to like my conscience before God. Do I see people when I see the work that I'm doing? Do I think about the kingdom when I'm doing what I'm doing? And that will be my guide. That's good. So did viewing your, your father as head of household and supporting the family and providing through all those ups and downs combined with this figuring it out, right, from a financial perspective, have those things led you to make a conscious decision to remain single or has that just been by circumstance? I think anyone, I think, I think humility would say it's always both. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, um, and I think it's always both. I think in my case, for me, especially going in from my 18, 20, uh, like I had this, I think I'm a good guy and, you know, I'm going to save until my married. And that was my plan. That was my this. And I felt so proud, you know, at that stage of my life. But what I was clear about early on was that I wanted to find a wife. I wanted to be out these streets, like ever early, like I, the parents were 23 and 19 and I wanted to be young. My parents were younger than everybody. I love going and seeing them with their, their black hair. And like, you know, it was like, you know what I'm saying? My parents was always in my mom and her tights. She running around. Like, I just like, I wanted to be young. I didn't want to be tired at PTA meeting. Right. And so for me, that was my view. But the reality is that I think I came in as we're mature around, I had, what I believed was like, you know, my first <laughs> major relationship in college. I'm like, I found, I found my, you know, my Delarice, you know, like you, you, you make it up. Yeah, I'm making it up. Right. Um, um, but you know, in college and then, you know, grown man graduation, you have your heartbreak. Right. And then you kind of like to yourself and then you're beside yourself. And then I kind of, for me, was intentional. I just felt that I couldn't speak for myself, speak for myself. I could not be out here. I think I've had my moments, especially in my early 20s, right, where I'm just like, by the grace of God, like, you know, I was out here living, right? Like, but I felt that, especially when I got to my 30s, I said, like, I've always been seeking my wife because I felt that um, there was something that God wanted to do with my life and that I couldn't afford. I didn't have that much margin for error. I couldn't have my name in these streets. I could not. Like, I just I felt like I, I was very clear about that. On top of that, it informed, like, my view of dating because I'm very, like, like my brain is very much like silver, silver bullet. I'm very like, Ooh. so I felt to myself, like even I was never dating. Cause for me, I was just like, I don't know how, I don't know how people could do it. Like, I was like, I don't know how people talk to multiple people. That's stressful. You know, like it was like, that's stressful. You know, I'm like, I don't, I will never know whether this didn't work out because I wasn't really focused. I didn't give them everything that I could. And so because of that, I think that, and I think it's a combination of like, I was looking for something in particular and you grow over time. And I think I've refined that but I was looking for a particular type of woman. And I feel that the scripture says that woman is rare. Proverbs says she's rare. So I was comfortable waiting. And I think from given my story, I felt that I had found her. It was one of my, my friends that I had known since college, right? It was one of those like, you know, quintessential stories, right? I was BSA president. I'm out on the, you know, the yard, you know, looking around and, you know, you feel like you know all the black people in these in these institutions. You know all the black people. I'm like, I don't not know this woman. <laughs> you know, 
when I come to a BSA meeting, she thought I was lying. I'm like, no, like I'm, we're doing a conversation. And I was there moderating a discussion between black men and black women about relationships. What else is new? Right. And we struck up a friendship. And I remember initially it was so much around proving to her that I didn't want to sleep with her. That she's like, you really did? I'm like, yeah, I'm not. I'm generally want to get to know you. And so we were friends. And so from that point, most of, I would say from the time I was like 24, 25 on, I wasn't open to anything else, right? Because my heart, had, had got, I got clear. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was the clearest day. It was like, oh, well, she loves Jesus. I'm naturally attracted to her and I trust her. I have three sisters. You, your brothers, <laughs> you have women around you. And I'm the only son of Nigerian. You know, like, <laughs> you're like, there's a different, it's levels, right? You know, and so for me, it was just like, I trust her. That was the big, I trust her because I came from a context, something you worked the council is like, I was only son. So my mom's like, these women lie, <laughs> you know, don't be, you know, <laughs> and that's how I came up, you know? So my thing was just like, I felt my heart could rest in her and I trusted. And so because of that, I never was really open, even though I would act like I'm looking and being, I never was really open. And I think, so that was part of the intention. And I think I have no regrets about that decision. It was until 2016. How many years later? 2007 was the year I was like, oh, this is the person. 2016, dated for how many months? Headbutton. It wasn't really working. You know, a couple years, took the time, did my counseling, grief counseling. Then I was like, you know what, we're friends. That, you know, we won't talk again, but da da da. And it came back again. And so I would say, understanding that I don't control everything and recognizing that, you know, maybe I would have met, maybe there's somebody who I would have been interested in and maybe they saw me and they're like, I'm not going to be in his view so he can even see me. So there's a humanity to say, I don't know. But I think a lot of it for me intentionally was that I wasn't really even open. And also I didn't necessarily believe in dating, dating. Um, And so I was always waiting for ultimately a particular type of person that I felt I could marry, not just date. And so I was waiting for, like I said, the, the, the last dragon vanity thing not necessarily don't jump on me. <laughs> and then, then the second thing was, um, not just the glow thing. Um, and then the second thing was, um, then I thought I found her. And then when I thought I found her, no one, no other woman, uh, you know, at that time, I think fortunately, unfortunately I allowed in my heart, I never really allowed that because I was waiting for her. And so I think that's partly my story, right. Including all this other stuff that I can't control. You know, it's, um, I think we all, have those stories, especially people who are discerning and are not into the, what they call circular dating of juggling all these people and everything, and really are dating with intention, all great things. And you do avoid a lot of the nonsense, but when you do find somebody that you feel this is the right person because they check these boxes and it feels good in my heart and I feel safe. Um, when it doesn't work, I find that the disappointment and the grief and the gravity of that is so much deeper because you put yourself out there in a way that, you know, I'm, I, and you probably feel this way. I feel like you're going to, you're going to feel me on this. I'm really fascinated by people who date, start dating somebody new. They're public online in two months and like, they're completely in love. I'm like, you don't even know this person. You put this out there and then they break up, you know, a year later and whatever. And then the next person, they do it again. I'm like, how are you just that open and like public and vulnerable uh, with your relationship? Because those of us who are a bit more reticent to jump in with both feet that way, generally we're also more private, right? And Mm -hmm. it's very calculated and there's a lot of thought that goes into it. But when you jump, you jump with both feet. And when things do not pan out in the way that you thought they should, um, and not to say that other people don't grieve, but it's devastating. It's completely devastating. (laughs) 
Oh man, uh, you know, uh, you know, growing up when you 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 listen to songs, but you were a kid, you had no idea what these songs were talking about. And then you get older, and you're like, "Dang, Cam, Cam was feeling can get over." I'm like, "Cam was," <laughs> you know, that was that sparkle music, you know, like that was, you know, but but it it it's it's a knife, <laughs> it's a knife. Um, I felt like uh, like someone put a knife through my heart, you know, because like you said, you, it's not even so much for you people to make it a, a self righteous thing. I love hard, you know, mm-hmm. you know, people don't love like I love, you know, like it's like. No, <laughs> but I think there's something when you believe that you've been discerning, mm-hmm. that you have listened to the Lord, that you have sacrificed, that there were those Friday nights lonely when you could have been out, where you could have been swiping your phone, but you're like, nope, I'm going to live a certain way. I'm not going to be out here. And then you found someone and I always use the example of like waiting to eat like you, you were like, you had some leftovers and you're like, man, I can't wait to come home. And you have siblings. And I was like, I'm a tear up and I have that, that, that pizza hut supreme. I can't wait. And you come back. Somebody ate that joint, you know, like it's, it's the anger. That's how it feels. It's just like, it's like, man, I was anticipating it. That hope your heart is sick. And I, and, you know, experiencing that, you know, for, for me, that, that dream, that journey. And I think I've shared it even briefly uh, honoring, obviously the, the reality, but I think this is, this is family. I think that, you know, coming in this time last year, a little bit more than a year. And I was, I, I got engaged to be married mm-hmm. to that, to the, to the, to the woman of my dreams the one that I was waiting for, right? And with all the, like I said, the, you know, the, the kind of mixed reviews of mentors and people, right, con- with the concerns about some of the challenges, you know, my eyes were like, I waited for this person, right? I have never publicly declared someone like that. And to make a decision and come from a place where you make commitments, men make commitments, you're accountable. You say something, you do something. That's that's where my dad was like, you. So for me, it was just like, and it was always deeper. I, you had a conversation there last time, like, uh, even like beyond just preference and like having a dream of a woman, a, a specific woman, that's a gift. Like, God, you allowed me to be on a journey with an amazing woman. That's a gift. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. Two, a Black woman. That's a gift. But on top of that, going on a journey with someone and it for it not to work out. You know, for it not to go the way you would you would plan it to have counsel come in and be like, bro, this is not for you. And you need to make that decision. It's 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 hard when it does not work out. <clears throat> and I think so many of it, sometimes it's like it's oh, it's disorienting because you're like, what, what where did I get my coordinates wrong? Like I fasted with my boy, my boys fasted with me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I literally, like we 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 got the vegan life, you know, like I was out here and my neck was was moving in my shirts, you know, like it was you, you know, like, you know. Annual fast? What were you doing? You know, I'm like, exactly, man. I was, I'm chickpeed out. You cut me. I cut out. I bleed chickpeas, right? Like, you know, it was it was all of those things. And then, like, pray. I pray. I looked, took time away. And then I felt peace. Even though I felt that there were issues that I knew that we had, I felt peace because I didn't know anything. I, I didn't know. I didn't see myself in anyone else, right? And then coming to the fact that you, there's a such thing as being able to love someone but that you all are not, are, cannot have a healthy relationship mm-hmm. by nature of the nature of the brokenness you have and actually being able to reconcile that and believe that God is big enough that the God that created that woman, the God that created both of you could create that feeling and much more with someone else, right? And even if I don't get that, even if I don't get that, like, again, we're not guaranteed marriage. I always say this to people, I'm like, yo, this is not, that's not salvation. <laughs> like, you're not guaranteed. No one deserves 
we deserve love. There's no deserve. We receive the love of God. And then everything else is a bonus. Because quite frankly, what we deserve is something worse. And so for me, I just kind of, I've come out of that with gratitude, but I just say the feeling of that, that feeling of I'm going to be married or man, I'm going to start my family with someone or just for even as a brother who's been in these streets and, 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 and who's been like committed to God for all these years and saying like, God, I want to be able to have sex with my wife. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and not be out here dying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, these types of things for me was what broke. And then I think the last piece of it was just the what will people think? I even like, I like, I even said this, like, I, I, like it med, led me to the word of like doing a sermon about it because it was just like, because in my brain, it was all the people pleasing. Cause I'm like, people always assume the guy, this you know, like the, like the guy, like, you know, it's the same thing that for family dinner. Oh, you just assume that I'm out here traveling the world, dealing with the women that I'm serving. Right. When it was like, Oh heck no, <laughs> like it was no. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, I was dealing with all of those things. To feel like, oh man, if I say this, I'm a failure. That people are going to think that I that was some foul play that I did, and da 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 da. And I just brought brought to the word, and I got brought to the fact of like, what are you called to? Right, this was a gift. I'm called to what the Joseph did, even when he thought that his wife <laughs> was like adult. Like even when he thought that he was like he was going to cover quietly. No one needs to know what I cover quietly, right? Honor her. I will always honor. I will always honor that woman, right? Always. Right. And still recognize what was best for us and for me. Right. Um, but I think that was the hardest thing because I was worried that people would assume that I did something wrong and that they would look down upon me because the man's always guilty that I thought. Right. Um, and I think getting through that, it allowed me to kind of not delay the decision that I w- w- was clear I needed to make while at the same time also just being grateful for what I what I had. Um, and I think the reality is that like, um, I was even saying this earlier with my counselor, you know, like early, I was like, you know, I, hmm, I think this is a journey of me also like viewing God more, more, more that in a more vast way, because I think the, what makes it hard for many people is they think that that will never come again. Mm-hmm. Right. So I've never, I've never been this person be like, oh man, where the women, what? never on God's green and blue. Will you hear me talk about where are those? I will never do that because I don't think this is a guinea pig hamster thing. Where you're like, oh, it's the numbers. It's like Vegas. Just run the n-. no. I feel you find one, and I feel it's commitment. And I think for me, it's just like you know what? I've there have been cases where I've not pursued. I've not pursued, and I'm just like you know what, God? I can't wait for what you will do. And that's where I've been. It's like I can't wait for what you will do. I don't believe I'm called here to be like Paul by himself. I'm looking forward to starting a family. And I think just speaking, just de-Christianize it, de-over-spiritualize it. Like you know, like we were not meant to be alone. Like I want you want somebody to share moments with. You want somebody to bear witness to the mundane of life, right? I want somebody to 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 sit with and be able to enjoy life with, to laugh with, to to to, to make decisions with, to help me and counsel, to care for her, right? I deeply desire that, and I know God knows that, and I've been more resting in that and saying, God knows that. God knows what I need, and I need to be open. I need to recognize that He graced me with what we had, and be open with that. And, you know, I, to the, to your point about worrying about what people would think, I think when you've not, you touched on this earlier in the conversation, when you've knocked it out of the park, like in so many other areas, there is that belief of like, why am I failing in this one space consistently? So I think you have that internal dialogue, but also once you've reached a certain level of success, notoriety, and you seem like a well-adjusted human being. 
outwardly people view, and there's one or two things they're going to think. One, that you're running through people, like to your point, like, well, he's just out here not trying to settle. Like he's non-committal, <laughs> you know, and, and because unfortunately we have so many examples of people who look to be doing things for the greater good, but are engaging in all kinds of activity and leveraging their position for their own gain sexually or otherwise. Mm-hmm. So people think that, so there's that piece. Then there's also the other piece of like, well, he must be crazy. Like there, there must be <laughs> material deficiency because mm. you're a black man with education and ambition and this and that, how could you be single? There's women on every corner, right? It should be easy. Mm. If you are approaching it with this level of intention and a, a strong belief about what it is that you're looking for, which is rare, and then on top of it, you had what you thought was it, it makes sense to me. Why yeah. are you still? Yeah, I mean, you brought it to this point. I mean, like you, you know, this would be a part we could speak all <laughs> you know, all evening about. It's um, whew. this is the balance that I have with my counselor. I said, like, I'm very particular. I'm not talking about like I'm not I'm not bringing this about people. I, I'll get there, but like, you know, I'm, I'm I'm like I do the same routine. Like I'm on discipline structure. Get up the same time. Work out the same. Boom, boom. Eat the same. Boom, boom, boom. And then the weekend, eat trash. Right? Like, or just is a very very particular, the same lotion I've had, <laughs> like the same body wash, the same move. And so I think you could, that personality, you have a vision, you have a vision. And sometimes I wonder, you know, I have to be open to both things open-handed. I have to be open that God may be inviting me to, to, uh, to challenging me on what I believe I think I need. Right. Um, and I think sometimes I always say that this is humbling, right? Like to your point, that's really like people worried. I don't worry about too much about that, but I hear that, right? Like, you know, people be like, something wrong with him, right? Like, I'm just like, I'm, you know, like people, you know, I've been hearing from auntie since 28, like, hey dog, what's going on? You need, I don't need a woman at home. Yeah, I'm like, man, you know, like you ain't gonna do that hookup. You ain't gonna do the auntie hookup for me on this, right? Like, <laughs> but now I look back, I'm like, I should have been hookup. But, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, but I do think, the reality is it's like, do we have unrealistic expectations of people? And sometimes, and this is why I let myself sit under the guillotine with this too, is to say, sometimes I think that if you have a type, now I only put just type A, because don't let the other people slip or slither out, you know, where you're accustomed to um, achievement and things, you could somehow feel you need, you achieve your spouse, Right. This is a representation. This needs to be this. I'm good here. This like a conversation. I think we even talked about this. Like I always laugh when I talk to my sisters that ask me about advice about things. And I say, what you value, we value, but not as much as you do. Right. And so like you're saying, oh, like I have this, I should be eligible for that. And guys are like, no, not necessarily. Like, you know, like, you know, and so I think the flip side for this is like sitting and being like, you know, hmm, all the things that I think I need all the things that I think I want God, and maybe you're challenging me on this. And I think because I've always viewed this, I felt like, like my mentor said, and I remember it stuck with me. I remember my aunt saying, and she was like, you can't be with anybody. And it wasn't like this prideful thing. I always have felt that. I, like, I can't just be with anybody. I feel there's mission, not like, oh, special, but I said, I can't, I can't. So I rather, I rather sit and be clear and pray that honors everybody in the process. So one, if I'm wrong, and I overthought myself and whatnot, I should deal with whatever comes with that. Okay, right? But ultimately I feel I'm, for me, my focus is God to say, I really do, I'm not trying to overvalue it. I don't think I'm that special or that smart to even make the right decision. I can't, you need to help me. But two, I also like, 
I want this, I want to measure multiple times, cut once. But I also feel that I also am a uniquely broken person, mm-hmm. right? And whoever I, I will marry is a uniquely broken person. And I think because of that, I want to make sure that I'm, I am not taking it into my own hands and I'm partnering with someone. But with that said, I believe once you decide to marry someone, that's the person you're supposed to marry. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And to the unrealistic expectation pieces, I think sometimes people oversimplify it. They're like, oh, your standards are just too high, right? Um, I don't necessarily think it's that for everybody, but I think when you have a laser-like focus around what your vision is for your life and you've got all these steps of like, I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen and I'm going to do that, you bring that energy to interfacing with someone of the opposite sex. So if on the, the surface, if they don't fit into that vision, for whatever reason, it's like, oh, this can't be it, right? Um, and one of the things, as as trying as dating is after 35, <laughs> we could talk for like three more hours about that. <laughs> one of the, the lessons that I've had to learn is stop looking through the lens of like, this vision that I have for my life as a single person, right? Because there are things that are gonna have to adjust and change, and there's somebody else's call and their talents and their purpose that have to merge. And we've got to come together and figure out how we build this thing together, right? So what that means is, I didn't, I, I know what I would like in a partner, but I didn't necessarily know what your vision was coming to the table, your gifts. So therefore, how could I know what the the end is supposed to look like in totality, right? There are certain mm. pillars and things that obviously make sense. So I've had to walk in this art of surrender and being open to suspending whatever my vision is of like, because I think when you are a high achiever, whether you want to admit it or not, sometimes you come to things in a vision as you're the main character and your spouse is in a supporting role, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And 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 so you cancel people out or you're like, yeah, this, this doesn't feel like what I thought it would feel like in terms of what I want for myself. Not realizing that they're the star of their own show too. And like you're coming mm-hmm. together to build something new. And that that is like a revelation I've had and something I've had to remind myself of and stop trying to place somebody in my scene, right? To figure out how they act in it because it's not about that. It's about, all right, you're coming together. You're bringing your stuff. I'm bringing mine. Like you said, we're uniquely broken. What's this new movie we're, we're going to write together? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it's just when people simplify to like, your stand is too high. No. It's not that. Uh, it's not that at all. It's it's sometimes an expectation based on a vision that you've had that is really singular in a lot of ways. And mm. that, that surrender and that trust and that faith comes in, in my my opinion, because when you don't, you know what you want it to look like. And there are a lot of like the ingredients are there. It's like, OK, what's this really going to be? Because this feels a little bit foreign. Um, <laughs> you have to trust and you have to have have peace. And I love that, you know, measure several times and cut once. Listen, I'm I'm feeling that for sure. <laughs> Yo, this uh, this something. What I'm even hearing, what I'm hearing from you is just kind of this, you flexibility and openness. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the biggest things I think, even doing uh, couples counseling and doing that, and it's always interesting being on both sides of the couch and doing that, and like you doing married married couples, you like oh, that's such a privilege. But I think some of the privileges are what you take away. One of the biggest challenges post marriage for people, I think, for couples who who are older is not so much the fact that inherently because you're older, there's going to be problems. No, there's some things that I think life will throw at you. But I think a lot of it is because people get so stuck in their ways. Mm-hmm. Their life is set. They do this at this time. They wake up at this time. They do this. I like this. That, that. And we become so 
um, inflexible and so concrete about our lives, about our thinking. And that is the, like the, that is just fire. It'll destroy any possibility of a healthy relationship. Y'all gotta be humble, mutually humble. And that's been so clear. And so to, to, when I, to your point is like, yeah, like, you know, both being malleable enough to kind of recognize that the vision you have uh, may shift may, and may have to evolve. Most likely will because there's another human being here and that not your way is not always have your convictions. But, you know, I think the less open and humble and teachable man and woman you are, I think the harder partner you, you, you would be to be with. And this is a great transition to talk about the work that you're doing um, online. Let's talk about ATD. Explain to people what that is. Yeah. So it's actually fun. We talked about insecure. So it was actually four, it was four years ago. Um, actually, I think I preached, um, at, at, I think it was like four years ago, I preached at a church in Harlem. And then afterwards, um, people went out to brunch and East is the people. So full disclosure, shout out to you. <laughs> shout out to my sister. The um, people were talking about insecure at this place. I think it was Lola's or something in Harlem. I forgot which one it was, um, but we were up there eating. And when I tell you, these people were having some <laughs> some inflamed conversation about season one, right? About the, and I'm just, we're, I'm hearing and I'm with my boy, we're just trying to eat, and, you know? And I remember one, like it, it started to grow, but I'm like, this is, these are not healthy conversations. People yelling and going back and forth. And I clearly have my opinion. Um, and with the sister, Delorney, who's my, my, my co-host on it, she came to the table. She's like, what do y'all think? You know? And I remember giving my perspective. Um, and her and I start going back and forth and it's slowly, but surely the whole room shifts and it's just us. And we clearly were not on the same page about this thing, but <laughs> it was the way we were having the conversation and people kind of were like, yo, what I love about it is like, y'all were having this conversation. Y'all clearly understand, but y'all weren't caring. It seemed like you guys respected and appreciate each other. And then since then, and she'll tell you every time I run into it, she's like, well, we got to do a podcast. I'm like, no. Because <laughs> like, in my mind, it was just like, everybody doing podcast. I ain't doing podcast for the sake of doing podcasts. Like, number one, I'm busy. Number two, I don't want to do anything with my life. I'm just doing it because everybody's doing it, right? I want to do it because I'm contributing something different to the conversation. That I, me being a part of this conversation helps to further or give another perspective. And it wasn't until the pandemic where I, we run, I ran into her at, like the, at, a, at a film festival I'm a part of. And she's like, when are we going to do this show? I'm like, I don't know, man. And then it was like March comes and I was working too much, like many people. I was your home. I was working around the clock. And I said, I work out. I do all that stuff. I was like, I need an outlet. And I need, and I read the papers. I read, I'm, I watch interviews. That's one of my favorite pastimes. When I take breaks. I watch interviews, breakfast, go this way. Bah, bah. I just love podcasts and interviews. And I said, you know what? I just want to, sp- I need a space to talk. <laughs> just to talk and it's going to, and we decided to do this. So A to D. It's kind of the acronym is both like Aja to Delorney, right? Which was our first name, but also agree to disagree. And part of the view was that we wanted to talk about the things that everybody's talking about, but not necessarily talking about well. And on top of that, that's one pillar. But the other pillar is that we want to talk about things that, you know, like that impact our ability to have, that, that, that bring people together, that has to have healthy community and relationship, I believe, and family is the, the building blocking unit of healthy community, our community. And I think particularly there are conversations that, that there are a lot of conversations that I see that split along gender lines in the Black community. Um, and consistently, people talking past each other. Or it's very clear that the only people that this person's talking to ain't the other gender, another person. And so because of that, I said, we want to be, 
I wanted to be, it was just great for me to just talk about it. And we just, every Tuesday, we just come on and, and talk, no, no big production, nothing like that. And over time, it was just like, yeah, let's talk, let's actually identify those barrier conversations. So by design, we try to identify the topics where people don't agree by design or they're, 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 they're not doing it well. And then we try to give perspective, but keep it real, right? And I try to give a kingdom-led, but keep it real brother perspective on it. And she does too. Um, and so, yeah, we've been doing this since, since March and we got a whole bunch of episodes in. And the last two series we did was the Pursuit of Marriage series. And that was, that, that, that was, that was great. And there was a lot of conversation and now we're in myth or not. And woo, you know, <laughs> we're touching on stuff. So, so yeah, that's the, that's the show that we do. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I peeped some of the aggression in response to some of your views. <laughs> And we stay, and I stay firm on that. So. Yeah, you do it with love and and with such yeah. integrity and like calmness, which I think, which I think helps. But like, yeah, I saw a couple of people going in on you disagreeing uh, on IG. Um, yeah. And but you also have Watch God Work as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm I'm, I'm excited about that, and I'm excited about uh, interview we will do. Um, but you know, I'm I'm excited about that because I think because for me having spending my having my career in business. And seeing people, a lot of times I found from just a faith journey perspective, people compartmentalize their faith. They feel it's like Sunday, I need to be a good person. And then faith is divorced from work, right? And that I just need to be a good Christian at work as opposed to God designed work. Work is good since, since, the, 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 since the garden. That God, we, we would be formed by work. That we, are, we express God's picture, character, love. We help to, and so in my view, is just saying that It'd be beautiful to see people who are who are doing their thing with excellence in every area of human endeavor, every area of culture, business, society, people that people wouldn't even think and share their God story, aka their testimony. Right. And you know, my my hope would be with with a with a view to professionals, many people who are kind of like, how does what would faith be if it's so divorced from something I spend most of my waking hours doing? There's such a lost opportunity to articulate how our faith, our work is so inextricably linked to how God forms us, how he speaks to us, how we work. Like it's like work is so needed. It's important. Work is not a negative. Oh, that's secular. No, that's not the exegesis I see. So because of that, this was a just kind of a, a conversation to have to give one. It's also a gift to that person to say, have you, you've never told your God story. You love God and you people know about you, but we let's share the God story. And two, giving people practical, tangible ways that their faith informs how they do their work. You know, one of the sisters, Leslie Rosales, she was talking about, you know, for has artists from Tiana Taylor. She's like, I pray over my artists. I pray over David East. I pray over them. Right. I know what they're dealing with. I, like, and then from Christia, who goes like it, like she talks about her Sabbath to say she runs a multi-million dollar hair care line. Thank God it's natural. And it's been doing well. And she's just like, I actually have gotten more done when I took Sabbath than when I have not. And, you know, these are the types of things that professionals need to hear, because I think that's going to give them a, a curiosity and a love appreciation for God um, in a way. So, yeah, watch God work. Uh, we do that. We got some great, great episodes coming up. And so I'm excited about it. That's good. Now, before we let you get out of here, you know, we have to ask a question. Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Yeah, I was about to start with my friend offered me Ghana Jalof, right? Like, so let me stop. <laughs> no, I'm not, I just, I have to take shots. I have to take shots. Um, 
extraordinary on an ordinary day. Yeah. I think I wore with two conversations in my head, but one of them, hmm, it was, I believe, I, I think I spoke to a bit about just making a decision to, you know, around the engagement, but I think there's another piece when my, um, when my uncle, my, my cousin's father, father passed. Mm-hmm. So my cousin, who was a year older than me, passed away two, uh, coming on three years ago in Austin, Texas, working. A young black man, Brooklyn, young child, a cardiac arrest, doing an agency event in Austin, Texas. He was trying to provide mm-hmm. and he was stressed. And obviously he had a condition, but he was young. He was a year younger. He was my Iyanya. Shout out to, to, to some many people in Brooklyn know my brother, my cousin Iyanya. Um, he passed away, and you know, being up there during the funeral was just too much. But you know, to to, to speak was helpful. But then, the the ordinary day it felt like when I woke up that morning and I, I presided over his father a year to almost the day he passes away. Heart, and and that time recognizing that. You know, I'm reminded that our parents are not going to be here any longer. That from like are not going to be here forever. That that ultimately I had to take responsibility. I felt it was a wake up of responsibility because it was just like you're the pastor in the family. You will bury him, and you will preside. I think it was a it was an ordinary because I remember waking up like it was <laughs> and going through the, the emotions and preparing preparing the remarks and the, you know, everything that you need to do for um, a funeral and driving down, playing Donald Lawrence um, and Kelly Price when the saints come march, like it's, uh, and the emotions of seeing my father sobbing for the first time since that time that I saw and seeing my, my, the family and seeing that and then realizing I'm just like, you know, I have to be present. I have a duty. I have to serve God. I need to serve my uncle and I need to serve my family. And there's one time I felt really, really, um, it was an ordinary day in the sense that I was doing something that happens every single day. I think it was extraordinary in the sense that there was so much vested interest that I had in it. So much that I think could, that would, <laughs> could have prevented me from getting through that day. Um, that I felt that I, the thing that uh, centered me the most was that I was serving my family mm-hmm. and serving God even as I was suffering. And I think about the extraordinary and ordinary day. I think about that Friday. I think about that good Friday. I think about the serving people, even though you're suffering. And I think in that I saw the King and in that I felt like his child, I really felt like I was, I was doing what I was supposed to do. And so similarly, I think out of that experience, I think I see my life to say, you know what? I may suffer for the decisions I'm making for how I live to serve people. But I think that is sometimes the only way you will help people. And I think that was clear on that day because I had to be present enough to to, to say, and I was appreciating of the privilege, but I recognized the fact that I had to suffer in order to serve. I think that gave me a really sobering reality that if you really want to serve people with your life, you can't skip past suffering. Suffering is the, uh, the, the price of entry to love people well. And um, that day sits with me. It, it, it reminds me of that. And it points me to where I need to go to when I need to do it again, which I think I'm hopefully trying to do every day with my life.
And look, there's nothing left to be said after that. I think that's a great place to end on. If you want to serve, you have to suffer. That's good. And I think that that speaks to all manner of relationships because some people will hear that and put it through the filter of, well, if I want to serve my community or if I want to be in ministry or from call to some public major role. But that to me, that applies in any in all manner of relationships. If you want to serve, you have to suffer. That's good. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I do not take this, this, this conversation for granted. Thank you for what you both are doing. Um, so I'm, I'm, I appreciate the privilege to share. Listen, I knew it was going to be good. DeMarcus called it, said it was going to be over two hours. I don't even think my edges are still slicked down. We've been talking for so long. Um, <laughs> I'm out here greasy like Jermaine Jackson over here, man. <laughs> it's so tell the people where they can find you online. Yes. Um, you know, I welcome um, uh, anyone uh, reaching out. Um, so my, my website, Lawrence Aja, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. Aja, A as an Apple, D as in David, J as in Jack, A as an Apple, H as in Hello. I clearly do that a lot. Dot com. And then my last name um, on all social media, Aja, A as an Apple, D as in David, J as in Jack, A as an Apple, H and O underscore L. Aja underscore L um, is on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You can find me, YouTube. See Lawrence Aja. Um, and you can reach out or text me. I have a text number. I'm open and I, I respond and I talk to people all the time. We'll text 917-540-5328 and I'll respond to you. Well, I look forward to continuing the conversation over on your, your platform at some point in the future. Yes. I feel like there were still a lot of things we didn't get to, but mm-hmm. this was great. And to our listeners, you know the drill. If you've been fed by this, by the time you hear this, it'll definitely be a two-parter. Um, but if you've been fed by this conversation, tell somebody about it, like, share, subscribe. You no, know, again, we're nothing without you. We appreciate all of your support. Make sure you circulate. If you have recommendations for guests, you know where to find us. Uh, reach out and let us know who should we be talking to next. Follow Lawrence and what he's doing, particularly if you are struggling with social isolation in the time that we're in right now. Reach out. He's doing some amazing things and start to build those ties that bind in the connection. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.